Welcome to the Fantasy End Podcast, where we share our love for all things fantasy and discuss the broader speculative fiction industry. Welcome to the Fantasy End. In typical Fantasy End podcast fashion, uh, we should probably introduce ourselves. Hey, I'm Zhenya. I'm Tam. I'm Travis. I'm Kop. So today we'll be talking about how to read on a budget. Books can be expensive, especially new releases, uh, and many of us go through dozens or even hundreds a year, at least if you have a fantasy blog. Uh, our goal is to cover a variety of options for how we can find books on a budget while still supporting authors and to help make reading more accessible for everyone. Um, and a quick note, we believe that artists always deserve to be paid for their art, uh, so we will not be advocating for piracy or providing any resources to assist in piracy. Uh, we realize that public libraries are not a viable option for everyone, so we'll try to cover as many resources as possible here. So what are we reading? So right now I'm listening to Company of Liars by Karen Maitland. It's set during the Black, Black Plague in... Uh, in England or so, and basically several people are traveling to escape the Black Plague, and I believe there's going to be some kind of murder mystery involved as well, but I haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty good. It's a historical novel. I don't think there's any fantasy, although there is uh, some little child who can tell the future, and maybe that child is an, can actually tell the future, and maybe she's just a liar. Not sure yet, but it's mainly historical fiction. I am currently reading The Ship of Destiny by Robin Hobb, the third book in the Livetus series. Um, I really hope we don't air this before the one where I'm reading the second book. So how would you say that third book compares to the second book so far, Tam? I'll get back to you once <laughs> I've finished it. <laughs> and started it, because I'm still actually on book two. Oh, right. Okay, so... I actually just finished listening to an audio drama called Dark Ages. Oh man, where to begin with this one? So it's a high fantasy workplace comedy. So for anyone who's familiar with Kings of the Wild by Nicholas Ames, I'd say my short pitch is Nicholas Ames writes The Office. So basically you have this dark lord being summoned back into existence after a thousand years by a horde of goblins and so he's excited to finally put on his uh shadow crown again and regain all of his powers and basically be like sauron from lord of the rings unfortunately the goblins lost the crown and it's now on display at a museum the rivercliff museum of mostly natural history and so the goblin army tries to invade the museum uh but unfortunately uh, the museum has an army of demonic lawyers, uh, and their contracts are so ironclad that they can't get the crown back. So what follows is an entire series about the Dark Lord kind of just chilling out in the museum as other shenanigans go on. So you've got a high elf head of the museum who is just trying to get people interested in the mostly natural histories again, um, and it doesn't really work. You've got a janitor who is against his will enslaved for 500 years to be working cleaning the museum because he tried to steal something and it didn't work out so well. 
again with those demonic contracts. What else? And oh, one of my favorites, you've got this like 900 year old dwarf warrior who people aren't sure if he's going senile or if he's, say, actually the hero of the great dragon army battle from a thousand years ago that he claims he is. Uh, so overall, it's really, really good. Fantastic comedy. It's got its own like official theme song and everything at the beginning, which is just awesome. So highly recommend it. Fantastic example of comic fantasy. If you're thinking about trying audio dramas, you should give it a listen. I am currently making my way through a book called Inventing English, A Portable History of the Language by Seth Lerere. It's nonfiction. Uh, it's not fantasy. But I'm also making my way through The Fox and the Hound by Daniel P. Mannix, which is also not fantasy. It's And yes, it is that Fox and the Hound that the Disney movie is based off of. It was one of my favorites growing up. So I requested the book through my library since it is literally impossible for me to get a physical copy where I am right now. So I went online at my library site and I requested it and they got me a digital copy to borrow because I'm reading on a budget (laughs) well okay yeah that's a great kind of segue into our topic so obviously if we're talking about reading on a budget one of the first things we should mention is public libraries uh so most public libraries provide free access to physical books ebooks audiobooks graphic novels and a whole lot of other stuff besides um and so recently in the last i don't know maybe five years or so Uh, A lot actually have kind of a totally online functionality as well, where there's a service called Overdrive, and I think they now are kind of rolling into an app called Libby, uh, if you have a smartphone. Uh, So you can basically check out books online. Uh, You never have to actually walk into your physical library. And a lot of libraries also pay for a service called Hoopla, uh, where unlike Overdrive and regular libraries where you have to put your name on a waiting list before you can check out a book. Hoopla has a huge catalog of movies, uh, soundtracks, graphic novels, audiobooks, ebooks, you name it, um, that you can instantly download. And I think depending on your library, you get a different number per month. Uh, So I know I get 10 different downloads a month, um, and you typically get, I think, two weeks of access to whatever you've downloaded. Yeah, let me see. I think... I'm checking mine right now, my Hoopla. I get 30 downloads a month. Oh, wow. I'm not actually borrowing 30 things a month, but just like Travis was saying about Hoopla versus Overdrive, you it's instantly downloaded. You aren't put on a wait list. I don't know if this is a library-by-library library case basis, but... With Hoopla, you have it for the entire month, or you have it for, I want to say, 20, at least 20, 21 days. Whereas with, at least with my Overdrive, my Libby app, I can only borrow something for a max of 14 days. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, because I definitely don't have my Hoopla titles available for a full month. I'm part of the 
listenership, readership, I guess, who uh, does not live in an English-speaking country, so I cannot rely on libraries at all, uh, especially for English books. I know that, for example, uh, a few months ago, there was this big kerfuffle in the fantasy readership uh, fantasy community because Tor Publishing issued a four-month ebook embargo on libraries. And I just remember thinking, wow, you can get books within four months? You know, over here, if you want a book, um, if it came out more than five years or less than five years ago, you're unlikely to find it in the library, especially if it's an English book. I do know that apparently there are some English or American libraries which allow readers from other countries to sign up for a fee of something like $50. But I have never tried that before because I am nervous that it will not really work. Um, if anybody has any information about that, then I would be, or who has tried it when they lived out, like when they lived abroad, I'd be very interested in finding out about that. I think one of those is the New York Public Library. And the, also the Philadelphia has one as well. Yeah. I just, I don't know anybody who's actually tried it. So it's a little, yeah. Yeah. So I'll add my two cents there. Uh, I have not actually tried this one personally, uh, so take it with a grain of salt, but I have reached out and personally contacted the Philadelphia Free Library, uh, and so they have confirmed with me that they will provide their services to anyone internationally. So you don't actually have to be a U.S. citizen or living in the U.S. or have a U.S. address, um, but it does cost 50 U.S. dollars for the year, um, but that will include, uh, with your remote membership anywhere in the world, access to uh, Philadelphia's Overdrive and Libby accounts, as well as Hoopla. So that gives you a huge selection of ebooks, graphic novels, audiobooks, whatever, for the full year. So it does cost money, but if you regularly, say, use Audible and it's costing you $15 a month, it might be a less expensive alternative. Definitely something to look into. And again, if anybody has done it before, then I'd be very interested in their experiences with it. I guess I'm in kind of a similar situation as Genia. Not really, though, because I'm also living in a non-English speaking country. However, before I came here, I was a member of my library or I had a library card, which I'm able to use now. And the town that I'm in happens to have a library almost we don't get new books at all but we have a small selection of maybe two or three shelves of english books that people have donated throughout the years so i am fortunate because even if i wasn't a member of my library i would still have books to read uh, for example we have the wise man's fear not the name of the wind in our library. Interesting. So, yeah. It's my least favorite mm -hmm. book, but that's a, another topic. Um, so I would say how living in a place that libraries aren't really an option, not counting the Philadelphia Free Library or the Philadelphia Open Library, what are some different ways that you might read on a budget. Um, okay, I do want to jump in and add something here. 
So it is the Philadelphia Free Library, but Open Library is its own separate thing. And recently it's kind of a can of worms. Basically, if you're not familiar, Open Library is part of the Internet Archive and they scan in a bunch of different physical books and provide them online as sort of ebooks that anybody can check out and reserve just like a normal library. But there's been some controversy recently about whether this is fully legal or not. Uh, so mm. authorsguild.org has claimed that Open Library does not pay for the books that they scan and ignores copyright law. Uh, so while I greatly appreciate Open Library's attempt to make, say, out of print books available that you can't really find anywhere else, I'm not really sure in good conscience I can recommend them at this point in time. So I kind of hesitate to mention this because I don't want to promote consuming books in a way that violates copyright law um, or might potentially harm authors and publishers. But many people, myself included until recently, consider Open Library a viable and legal source of books. So as far as I know, this whole controversy is a fairly recent development and I'm not 100% certain at the time of this recording whether any definitive proof of copyright violation has been determined. So, but that's definitely something to keep in mind before you consider using Open Library. Is Open Library, that's different than, what is it, Project Gutenberg, right? I was about to bring that one up. <laughs> yes, that, yeah. that is totally different. So Project Gutenberg is specifically for works in the public domain. Uh, so yeah. copyright law would not be an issue for Project Gutenberg. They have actually recently hit a couple of copyright issues depending on the country they're in, so I don't yeah. think they're doing any books. I think they've just closed their site in Germany now. But effectively what Project Gutenberg aims to do is find books that have been around so long that they're public domain and make copies of them available for everything. So you're not going to get many modern books there, but your classics and older books should be available online for free to read there because they're in the public domain and i think everywhere but germany you can access them so do you know is that because germany has a different copyright law yeah so there were a couple of court cases where they were taken to court for copyright breach because their ruling on copyright was slightly different to the us i think it was around date of death instead of date of publication huh okay i had not heard of that yeah, there's basically four books by Thomas Mann, I think, which are still in copyright in Germany. And so there's, I mean, it's a big argument, I suppose, whether you can, like how it would work because it is online and how copyright would work across countries. I mean, the same with open library, I suppose. Okay. So what about if that covers for the most part, you know, how you can use free services like libraries, discounting if you're paying for a remote membership, uh, what about buying books? Are there any ways that uh, we can approach buying books on a budget? So this actually requires some splurging of friends, but the cheapest way overall for me to get books over here is through Audible, which is a bit odd, but yeah. Uh, basically, again, I was in the UK for a little while and I got audible.co.uk uh, membership, um, where for you, you pay £109 for 24 books. So this is a lot, of course, up front, but altogether, this means that it's about £4.5 per book, which is actually about the same price as an ebook would cost in Austria. And then afterwards, once you get oh, once you get through those 24 books, you can buy new credits, three extra credits for £11 per book. Uh, sorry, for £11 for the three credits. 
which would mean that it's about 3.6 pounds per book, which again is cheaper than most ways of getting books here, particularly new books. So if there's a book that was just released, um, usually the ebook here will cost almost 10 or 11 euros, whereas an audiobook I could get basically immediately for a lot less money. Um, this is kind of strange because again, you have to pay a lot upfront, but sometimes these really large audible things are very lucrative in the long run. I should add with that, that that's 24 credits per year that that gives you. So it's a Sorry, annual yeah. plan and it'll pay that once a year, unless you cancel it prior to the end of the year, at which point you'll lose your credits if you haven't spent them all. But if you've got the books, you're fine. Um, I guess while we're on the topic of audible, uh, one thing is try not to use a credit to buy a book if it's uh, if the book itself is less expensive than you paid for the credit. Uh, so that's one thing I found is books kind of range from $2 on Audible to upwards of $50 if it's like 40 or 50 hours long. Uh, so that's $2? something just to consider. Uh, well, when they have the sales anyways, uh, where it might be for like <laughs> 99 some cents. some novellas. And novellas, novellas. novellas are a ripoff. Novellas, sorry, this is my own personal. <laughs> but novellas are a ripoff because they cost they cost one credit. Somehow they don't do half credits or as often anymore. Um, but they are for their they they are about five hours. So you should try to figure out uh, when they're on sale or something. You know they're never on sale. Looking at you, Rivers of London novella. <laughs> But <laughs> so there's no way to read them on a budget. That's my final, <laughs> my final point on this. <laughs> but yeah, those are not good uh, time for your money, money budget. for your time. Yeah. And so Audible also has frequent sales for existing members. I think they're pretty highly location specific, uh, but they still typically do have sales for most locations. So that's something to keep an eye out for. I think... Just recently, uh, there was a sale for two books for one credit. Uh, so that's kind of a way to keep an eye out, see if there's anything you've had your eye on, uh, and you can reduce your expenses that way. Another similar service to Audible, and it's sort of a, if Audible was a library service, is Scribd. Uh, it's S-C-R-I-B-D. And... I know it's at least in North America because I've seen some Canadian booktubers on YouTube talk about how they use Scribd for so if you if you have this option, I don't know if it's international. Eight ninety-nine US dollars a month, then you can get a variety of different audiobooks and ebooks. It's the same concept of as Audible. I feel like I've used Scribd before for something. Um, there's some free audiobooks on there too, right? I think so. Maybe. It's like a combination of library and Audible. No, I figured out what I was thinking of is LibriVox audiobooks. Um, mm. They have a lot of free audiobooks, but they seem to be often either older ones, such as Pride and Prejudice, or ones which the author himself or herself has decided to put online. So I listened to Ravenwood by Nathan Lowell there. It's read by him. And it's it's just, a, it seems to be a free audiobook website, but not all books are available there. 
Tam? Yeah. How do you read on a budget? I don't. I just buy books when I need them. <laughs> I don't really have any set budget. I kind of just budget my discretionary expenses and that mostly goes towards books. So, But I think that is a, a valid point. How reading on a budget doesn't necessarily mean reading cheap. Yeah. While we're still on the topic of audiobooks a little bit, I hesitate to keep talking about Amazon just because I don't like Amazon being the dominant force in the market. But they do have a lot of different options. Uh, so a couple things I want to mention before we get away from that. First, a lot of times if you have an Audible membership, you can or sometimes books, you can buy the ebook and then get the audio at a discount. So I know there's been a few occasions where I could either spend my $15 credit on the audio copy of the book, or I could find the ebook for, say, $5 and then get the audio for an additional $3. Even if I never read the ebook, I was able to get the original audiobook file I was looking for for less money than that credit would have cost me. And then also, since I actually personally have a subscription to this. Uh, Audible has, I think this is fairly new, uh, an unlimited romance package. Uh, so I should say this is an additional monthly fee you pay. I think it's maybe seven or eight US dollars. But unlike Audible's traditional model where uh, you get one book per credit, this package is kind of like Netflix where or a library where you have access to as much as you can get through in that month. So I think uh, my partner in particular goes through maybe 10 or 15 of these romance books a month. And that's just for that one like initial $8 for that month. Seems to not be available outside of America. Uh, oh, so well, it seems that's that also Audible, good to keep in mind. <laughs> yeah, it seems that Audible is very country specific. Uh, so for example, the German and Austrian Audible, audible.de uh, does not allow this lump sum of 24 books per year, while the UK does. For example, um, on the other hand, uh, the US apparently has this romance package, which I do not see on audible.co.uk. Huh, interesting. Another option for reading on a budget, and in this, in this sense, reading cheaply or reading for free is the website Wattpad. And it's essentially a website where people self-publish their books. If you're looking for stories that maybe you wouldn't find in traditional publishing, but you aren't sure if you want to, I don't want to say spend money, but if you, if you want to read something that you might not find in traditional publishing and Maybe you've even browsed the self-publish section of Amazon, then maybe check out Wattpad. So that kind of reminds me of web serials where people can, well, serialize their novels on the web uh, and kind of post weekly or monthly or uh, even if they don't have a consistent schedule, just breaking up their story into chunks. For, for those things, they usually get paid by ads, right? So you just have to make sure that you turn off ad block if you have it on so that you can support people. Um, web comics as well, I know, are usually paid by ad revenue. They mostly also have Patreon as well. So if you really enjoy it, you can go and donate some money to the author through there. I mean, to physical books, um, there's always secondhand bookstores. And one thing that I find quite 
interesting is that even in non-English speaking countries, uh, you can find a few fantasy books in a secondhand bookstore. Uh, usually there are something from, from the 80s and 90s. You're unlikely to find something from current times like you would in an English speaking country. I would not find that in, in Austria. <laughs> But still, it's, I think it's, it's useful to check out a little bit. Maybe there's, I, I have seen, for example, Jenny Wurtz there, which is good. What are what are your guys' experience? Have you ever found anything good in a secondhand bookshop? Bookshop. I don't actually know of any secondhand bookstores anywhere near me. I've bought one or two in secondhand bookstores overseas, um, which have always been good. And this may be very location specific, but twice a year, one of the big charities has book fair in our convention center. It's called the Lifeline Books book fair i'm fairly sure it's only in brisbane but other cities might do something similar and they take all the books that they've been donated over the past year and they put them out and well it fits into our big chunk of our convention center and there are a lot of books for very cheap there which is always good for getting paperbacks well another thing that i just thought of is of course you could join or start up a blog and then you could get arcs for free yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's other reasons to join blogs for sure not just for free books <laughs> um make a net galley account but i mean it's true right especially especially if you live somewhere where i don't know free books uh, or rather books that just came out are hard to get or very expensive maybe there's no library and so on uh, but you still want to be part of the conversation of newer releases For things like NetGalley, you basically pay by reviewing the book, by leaving. It doesn't have to be a positive review, of course, but by contributing to the community in this way, which is not monetary, but does give back to the author and the publisher. So I think that it is something worth looking into if especially you live somewhere where there are no public libraries with recent releases. Mm -hmm. And now for NetGalley, is that specifically for... Uh, reviews that you leave on book blogs or could you just say leave a review on Amazon or Goodreads? Uh, yes. So NetGalley, they count reviews through book blogs, Goodreads, Amazon, even YouTube. Any place that you can share a review on, then they count it for NetGalley. And different publishers will have different requirements. For example, you need to have at least a thousand people following you in order to get approved for such and such publisher. Yeah, I will say that number sounds on the higher end of what I've heard, though, because uh, I know a lot of people who do not have that large of a following who are still able to use NetGalley to get advanced review copies from publishers. I find... Usually it's for the ones that are geared towards young adult and middle grade audiences, those really high requirements. And from what I've heard, a lot of times it's not if you don't have that many followers, if you don't have that many views a month or that many views a day, whatever, they're going to reject you. I will say that I have never gotten a YA book so far. Um, I have been rejected for all YA books, but I have been, I have pretty good approval rates for other books. So, um, adult fantasy seems to be a little bit easier to get for whatever reason. Yeah. And I guess while we're talking about NetGalley, we should also mention Edelweiss. Uh, so that's, uh, between the two, NetGalley and Edelweiss seem to be 
the primary resources that bloggers use to get advanced review copies. And Edelweiss, from what I've seen so far, it's more traditionally targeted towards bookstores and librarians than actual bloggers, but bloggers can and do still use it frequently. And they tend to have less strict requirements to get a review copy. And you actually have the option of leaving a personal little message to the publisher saying why you want the book. Uh, so I found sometimes I get rejected for a book on NetGalley, but then I can get approved for that book on Edelweiss. Oh, and also, if you're interested in reading uh, books by independent authors or self-published authors, there's a service by a friend of ours, uh, Esmeralda Weatherwax online, who uh, runs the Weatherwax Report blog. She runs a service called TBR Render. Uh, so it's TV basically Render? TV Render, sure. So kind of like Tinder, but for books. So <laughs> if that's a good tagline, yeah. Um, so basically <laughs> you can go online to this. <laughs> I assume that's where the name came from, right? Tinder for books. Um, oh, should we also mention TBR to be read? Yeah, we're, we're pretty bad about acronyms here. Uh, so also ARC is, I think, advanced review copy or advanced reader copy. But yeah, so this TB render or TBR render, basically self-published authors can put their books on this online spreadsheet and it lists kind of what genres and subgenres the book falls under. And then reviewers can add their information to another spreadsheet that lists what genres they like to read and where they typically review. So Goodreads, Reddit, Amazon, blog, whatever. And both reviewers and authors can reach out to each other and request books or request reviews. So that's a way you can get free copies of self-published books. And you don't have to have a large presence. A lot of times, a self-published author will be more than happy to give you a copy of their book in exchange for an honest review. This is more of a specific example, but there are currently in you know 2019 the three of the illustrated harry potter books that are out by illustrated by jim k and physically they are about 40 dollars each which is a bit more on the expensive side however they do have ebook versions on amazon and for example i got the first one harry potter and the philosopher's stone for I think $9.99 and it's the Kindle in motion so it has the fancy graphics with the illustrations and the fancy animations which is fun so you get that illustrated book for $9.99 and I think they're going to do the other ones as well so if you wanted to read those books the Jim K illustrated Harry Potter books but you don't want to pay $40 or more, then the ebook versions are, you know, maybe, I don't want to say a cheap option, but a cheaper option. So there's a few different options you can use for physical books for purchasing them less expensively. So one that I personally use a lot is bookdepository.com. So a lot of times you can get paperbacks and hardbacks for a cheaper price than you'd find in person at a physical bookstore or through ordering on Amazon. And I believe Book Depository has free worldwide shipping. Not to me. 
Okay, so for most countries, <laughs> maybe not Mongolia, uh, Book Depository has free shipping. Oh, and you can also pre-order a book. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily save you a lot of money uh, because you're pre-ordering, you're getting the book as it releases. Uh, so you haven't let that price tail off over time. But if you're going to buy a book the day it comes out, a lot of times if you pre-order in advance, you can save at least a couple dollars. Yeah. Oh, one thing really quick that I want to mention. With libraries, you can also pre-order. So you can request that your library gets a book before it comes out. And so the, the day it comes out, it'll be automatically borrowed into your account. But I agree with Book Depository. I've used it before when I lived in America, and it's a really good service. Yeah, there's also a discounted ebook services. So I think the two, at least for science fiction and fantasy, that really come to mind for me, there's BookBub, where you can sign up for, I think it's just this email list that you're on. And once a week or once a month, uh, I'm not sure of the frequency, you get emails that have links to discounted versions of books. And I think you can tailor that based on your interest. So I only have checked the science fiction and fantasy categories, uh, but they have a bunch of other genres as well. And then more specifically, just for speculative fiction is Book Barbarian. And so a lot of times I'll see self-published books on there. Sometimes it's traditionally published books, but I tend to have more success actually from Book Barbarian rather than BookBub. Sorry, how does this work again? Where are the where are you actually getting the ebooks from? They typically just have links for discounted purchase. I'm not sure. Uh, it's been a while since I've used these services. They either send you to a store like maybe Amazon, or you might be buying direct from the author or publisher. Uh, I'm just wondering because, of course, uh, it seems to be to Amazon and so on. And of course, each country has their own specific discount sales at different times. So it's um, it's something to consider if you don't live in America, I guess. That's, that's why I'm curious whether it, whether it also links it for sales in, um, I don't know, from an Amazon and so on. Cannot find any information while I'm looking online right now. Um, I'll look into it. <laughs> and I guess similar to BookBub and Book Barbarian, there's also Audiobook Boom, which is a similar service, but for audiobooks. And I don't think it's region-specific, other than the fact that it links you up directly with indie authors. And so a lot of times if... An indie author has an audiobook. They're given a certain number of free book codes that they can give out. And so this audiobook boom is a service that allows you to indicate interest in books. And this lets the authors give out their free codes to interested reviewers. Now that I think about it, I'm sure there is some sort of region specific number of codes that authors get. Uh, it might be dependent on which region they're publishing in. Uh, but that's another thing you can consider. Well, that seems to be like a lot of places where people could start looking, right? And um, guys have, shall we wrap it up? Yeah, I guess before we wrap it up entirely, I do want to mention podcasts. Uh, so almost every <laughs> podcast uh, <laughs> is freely available. Um, you can use any podcast app you like, typically called Podcatchers, and you can access any of these. So they're paid for through ads and through Patreon. 
So you don't have to directly spend any money if you're not able to, but you can also support as kind of a pay what you want for additional content through Patreon. Uh, some audio dramas are behind a paywall. Uh, so there are different services. I know recently there's been announced a controversial Netflix for podcasts service uh, where I think you pay $8 a month and you get access to premium shows. But other than that, the vast majority of audio dramas and podcasts in general are freely available for anyone. I guess we should wrap it up. I was going to say that if anybody has any other tips that they want to share, then they should definitely share them with us. And especially if somebody has tried one of the uh, libraries when they're living outside of the country to sign up for something like that, they should also definitely contact us because we're curious about that. And yeah, Travis. Yeah, so thanks for listening. And you can uh, join the conversation with us on Twitter at The Fantasy Inn or find us on our website, uh, thefantasyinn.com. And I think that's a wrap. <laughs>